Pulse Audio Podcast Network. There is a woman at the beginning of all great things. That is a quote by Alphonse de Lamartine. And when I read this quote, it was it was in my planner. It's like the weekly quote. And I when I read it, I was like, oh, that had to be said by a woman. Why? Because let's be real. Historically, people tend not to give women much credit unless they're a woman, which is why we two badass besties are here to teach you about some unheard women from history and drink some wine, too. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And this is wanting about herstory. Also, the quote was actually by a man. So good on you, Alphonse. Way to be progressive. Cheers, he's Alphonse. from like a, a ways back, obviously. I don't, you know, but yeah. Man, you're making us sound like such a professional podcast. We're not. Like, we're not, but I mean, damn. Yeah. Good I, I saw that question. I was like, all right, this is what we're doing this week. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of A Whining About Herstory and Kelly's beautiful intro. Thank you. So proud of well, you. Usually, like, I just pull something out of my butt and I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> See, I do I'm just better. Because <laughs> then I'm just like... This is Blending About Her Three, and we talk about women and drink wine, and yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> and we talk about our boobs sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we're a little inappropriate. Oh, that's okay, because you know what? This is this is the most consensual you can get, like, with consuming entertainment. There are a billion podcasts out there. You are choosing to tune in. No one's making you. Right. You can always hit pause or exit out. Or or you can skip 15 seconds ahead. Be like, there's too much boob talk going on. Oh, God. They're talking about their periods again. We don't do that that much. We've done that like once or twice. Yeah. We usually talk about boobs when it's pertinent to the story. Like when I covered two women who flashed their way to freedom. Right. Exactly. They were really big on that and like ancient Rome women were constantly having a flash their tits (laughs) god if I could do that in a modern courtroom where I just flash my tits get out of like anything okay I this was just something I saw on Facebook and I have not looked up the validity or the true backstory but I saw this picture and it was of a woman in like a black top and just underwear and she was uh she was standing with her legs spread and like Mm -hmm. bent in half so almost like she was like trying to put her head through her legs okay you know and uh, she's in a courtroom doing this and the caption was that she was an exotic dancer and was proving to the judge that her panties were too big to show her vagina which she had been arrested for so some cops had like busted her for showing off her vagina you can't see it here are the panties in question here is me literally bent in half in this courtroom and you can see no pussy sir (laughs) if you can't see no pussy i will see you later (laughs) like there's got to be a fun rhyme for that i know i was trying to think of one off the top of my head no vulva no no i'm thinking eviction yep because i was thinking like the whole if the glove don't fit acquit yeah what is what is the uh equivalent here you can't see my vulva so we all know the verdict no that doesn't I rhyme mean, there's a v it's slightly better god damn it i should be better yeah, at pussy next puns. episode we'll figure it out we'll let you that'll be the yeah. intro <laughs> next episode i'm just gonna start tweeting it just yeah. fun li- i'm just gonna start workshopping it exactly like, fun little uh if the glove don't fit you must acquit but Vul- with vulvas showing showing vaginas. off your pussy yeah anyway 
Uh, so before we get started, I do have to say their name. And this is a name that I'm sure most of our listeners are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it is Brianna Taylor. Now, if you are not familiar with Brianna Taylor, may I please move into the rock you're living under because it sounds so peaceful and not quiet. horrible and so quiet, quiet down there. Because Jesus Christ. Um, but so only if they accept everyone under that rock. Yes. If they don't. I don't want to be <laughs> under it. Um. So uh, Brianna Taylor was a 26-year-old EMT living in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, one night she was sleeping in her apartment when the Louisville police busted in with a no- to execute a no-knock warrant. So they uh, broke down the door and did not announce who they were. Or they, why they were there. They did bang on the door, but it was like bang, bang, bang. No, they, through the that door. was them busting the door yeah. in. There was no knock. Well, it's, it's, there no, was, yeah, exactly. It was, there was like with a battering ram. That's what like her and her boyfriend heard was this pounding. Yeah. So uh, naturally, when a bunch of men bust in your apartment unannounced for no goddamn reason, if you are carrying a weapon, I think it's a natural thing to shoot at them. Mm-hmm. So her boyfriend shot and uh, Breonna Taylor ended up being shot eight times and while he, she was it, in her, bed his and her boyfriend was legally allowed to carry like yeah he had his yeah permit. this wasn't like uh, yeah just get all that bullshit out of your head listeners so uh they sprayed the her home with about 20 rounds eight of which killed her um so her much. boyfriend was arrested after that he was released yeah, for thank shoot, god like firing at a federal officer because i don't even think he hit him i'm like what the actual like that's what you do when someone is breaking into your apartment very violently. Right. Um, and all that. And so that was on March 13th of this year, 2020. And here's what's happened since then. One officer has been fired. Mm-hmm. None have been arrested. The other two have been relocated. Is that what you said? Administrative reassignment. So they're probably at their desks or something. Still getting paid, still working as police officers, still doing their job. And since March, that is all that has happened. Uh, The FBI is investigating, but I want to be very clear. Someone needs to be held accountable for this. Multiple people need to be held accountable. This wasn't one person's fuck up. This was a chain of bullshit that led to this murder. Right. I want to be very clear. This was a murder. It was like, you know, the judge executing a no-knock warrant all because they thought there might be drugs in their apartment because someone might have had a package shipped there. Oh yeah, that's why they were that's why they were going. They already had the person they wanted in custody, but they had this idea that maybe he was sending drugs to her apartment. I don't know where the fuck they got that idea I don't or know. like where that came yeah, from so, and I'm like, "Well, maybe ask the guy who you have in custody." I don't right. fucking so, know. So yeah, there was a judge that signed the no-knock warrant, which really I think it could have been a normal warrant. And then they them choosing to do it in the middle of the night, like couldn't it have waited till morning? I it's there's just a line of things that don't make sense that just culminated in this woman being murdered. And it's uh it would be really foolish to deny that systemic racism doesn't have a role in this because it right. absolutely does, especially with the speed at which things are being done. I just want to point out that the officers, the four officers who murdered George Floyd in Minneapolis, one was arrested pretty quickly, and then the last three were arrested. That dude actually just got, uh, it just was revealed that he and his va- his uh, ex-wife are getting busted for tax evasion. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh no, of he's course. they think he's trying to pass a fake twenty, but he owes like two hundred thousand yeah, two hundred thousand dollars to the fucking government. Jesus like fuck Christ. off. But anyway, I've been seeing all these posts and memes and things about how many days it has been since Breonna Taylor was murdered. And every time I see one, I just like just reel back angry. because like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And like, how have the other guys not been fired? Like, what the fuck? Right? So like, and yes, we know investigations take time, but this should be top priority getting shit done, sending out updates so if shit's taking a while, people know that, hey, we're still focused on this and shit is getting done. It's behind the scenes. But this should be the number one priority. I just can't imagine having a job where you can totally get away with shooting someone who is asleep in their bed and it's like, you don't get fired. Right. Like, they should be arrested. But like, bare minimum right. I, it's it's fucking mind-blowing and so um according to justice for brianna.org neither the louisville metro police nor mayor greg fisher have given brianna's mother any answers her mother was quoted as saying not one person has talked to me not one person has explained anything to me um that's terrible and this is not going to have a resolution she is not going to get justice unless people are pushing for it because it's going to be really easy for them to just kind of hope this all goes away well, and that, you that's know. probably what they're hoping they're like okay this you know it got you know it happened at the beginning of covid and people kind of it kind of got swept under the rug because of covid but then the george floyd thing happened and you know people got wrapped up in that but then that expanded out to all these other things including brianna you know, and I think they're just hoping that now that like the George Floyd thing, like they've been arrested and stuff, I I think they're kind of hoping that it'll calm down and people will just kind of like like maybe they get some bullshit just... resolution where they're like, oh, we're gonna change how we do things in the future, but no one's gonna be held accountable. Right. I don't even know what to expect. Um, I'm not getting my hopes up. But here's the thing: we need to keep pushing for this to get addressed. We need to push for people to be held accountable and we need to push to make sure this kind of bullshit does not happen in the future because this and not is not even just this case there's oh, a lot of cases out there but this is the one we wanted to highlight th- th- this is what we are doing today at at this moment um so you're probably like me you've heard about this case you've heard about brianna and you're just going god like what the fuck like it's tragic and you're yeah, like well what what bullshit. can i do what can i do um so Thankfully, uh, Google, you know, giveth, and I found uh, the justiceforbrianna.org website, which is full of, like, take action buttons, and that will lead you to uh, how you can help. So, one, post about Brianna using the hashtag Brianna Taylor, that's B-R-E-O-N-N-A-T-A-Y-L-O-R, and also hashtag justiceforbree, B-R-E, um, her story needs to be shared. Her story needs to be kept alive. We do need to keep counting the fucking days it's been yeah. since goddamn nothing has happened. Also, share her story and images of her being happy and smiling. She was an EMT. She was out in the community every day helping people. Right. She was and a lovely, the, vibrant human that being. That is one like, of the most common photos I've seen, which is nice. Because yeah. a lot of times they tend to like pick the worst picture oh, and yeah. show that. Because then it looks like they're not a good person. But the one I've always seen is her standing there with her like EMT diploma in her uniform. Yep. Unless which you, makes me happy. Unless you raped an unconscious girl behind a dumpster. In which case they right. will publish your swim times. Yeah. Fuck off, Brock and Turner. 
This is not about him. No. Uh, on Twitter, uh, call out the people who are in charge and the people who do have the influence to make power, right. pa- uh, to make changes, to make progress. On Twitter, that's at LMPD, at Louisville Mayor, and at GovAndyBashir, B-E-S-H-E-A-R. On Instagram, use at LMPD.KY, at Mayor, Mayor Greg Fisher, and at GovAndyBashir. Uh, also make calls, send emails. I'm not going to list everything because there are a lot. Uh, but if you go to the justiceforbriana.org website and click on any of of the take action buttons, they have all the information, send emails, make phone calls. They have it all listed out here, like the talking points. So you don't have to go on this emotional tirade, like I'm kind of doing right now because I'm very upset about this. I'm just letting you do it. Um, that's why I'm not talking very much. Like I, I am also upset, but I'm just like, you know what? Emily's got this. Just no, that that's fine. And actually, some of the demands that uh, JusticeForBriana.org has asked for have been met, like dropping the charges for Kenneth Walker, which is her boyfriend, who understandably fired at the people breaking into exactly. his goddamn home. Um, also, releasing the 911 call to the public for accountability that has been done. Yeah, and that's um, Kenneth and Walker's 911 call because yes. he called 911. I was just yes. letting the listeners know. No, no, I, I appreciate that. Uh, but there is more to be done, and we all need to push for it yes. because Black Lives Matter is not a trend. It is not a fad. It is, it is something that's that needs... to be here until we're all equal. Yes, absolutely. This isn't something that's going to go away, you know, because we paid Black Lives Matters on some streets. Nope. And it shouldn't. As amazing as that is, and I love the uh, the public support, but you know what's, what would be really great if we actually like changed the fucking laws and like maybe did some things that are actually going to help black people in the community. Right. Like not, and also, not just immediately move on to something else. Like demilitarizing the police. I don't know, guys. Maybe, you know, social workers should be more a part of some of these calls. <laughs> Mental health workers. Yes, please. God. So, yes. Uh, so, again, please check out justiceforbriana.org. Uh, there are a lot of websites. There's also a GoFundMe uh, for her family. There's a lot you guys can do right now. And we've already we've signed petitions. We've sent emails already. And we're sharing her story. So we are trying to uh, be engaged. And, again, Brianna's story is not the only one out there and not the only one that deserves attention. Uh, but that's who we're highlighting today. Yes. And so, Brianna, honey... I'm so sorry. Yeah. We will make sure that they do not get away with this. All right. Well, thank you. I don't really want to talk about wine now. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. And we're done. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Emily crying on Whining About Herstory. Bye. All right. And you know what? Here's the thing. I think we need to, we usually do the say their name and then the wine and then we go into our stories. I think that if we have an emotional say their name, maybe we do the wine yeah, first yeah. because it is very difficult to Right. To make feel, that transition. Like, I just feel like a shitty person trying to transition from talking about that to being like, okay, and the episode will just wine? have to put like a little bit of music in there. Like, yeah. That's, that'll be the break. Yeah. Pause for Emily bitch crying. And now we're back. Well, on a lighter note, we are uh, doing something a little different for our wine today. Kelly, if you want to talk about that. So I think like one of our first episodes, we joked that we were going to get boxed wine. Yeah. And we finally did. 
Um, so we got the Boda Box, which is actually an award-winning wine um, that's eco-friendly, has portable pack- packaging. This is their Pinot Grigio 2018. So first I'm going to read about the company and then I'll read about the wine. So this one says, at Boda, we look at life as one big adventure and we know you do too. Our wines are made to go anywhere and fit every occasion, whether it's an epic journey or relaxing in your own living room. Thank you for including Boda as you drink in all that life has to offer. Cheers. Oh, I like and then it go- and then it goes on to talk about like their eco-friendly white lifestyle and that their uh, wine stays fresh for like thirty days and that it's like compact, portable, shatterproof stuff like that. Well, and you know, boxed wine has a reputation for being kind of trashy. Exactly, it's this, this is not. First of all, all wine is wine. You know, like it doesn't if you like it, nothing makes a wine more classy or less classy. Like, let's eliminate the elitism that surrounds wine. But also, like you said, the boxes are more eco friendly. Usually Mm -hmm. get more. You can take them anywhere. They're more affordable. Like you get more bang for your buck. Right. Like also this is three liters. I love is four wine bottles. Yeah. And it's so In compact. a box that takes up basically the same amount of space as one wine bottle. And it's so, it like, it's a box. So, you know, you can, like, fit more in one cabinet. There's no dead right. space. I also love putting my glass under it and, like, pushing the button for it to there's do something, it. It, it feels something like really summer. nice about that. Remember, you got those, like, big lemonade jugs. Oh, yeah. You know, and you'd push the button and get your lemonade. Like, it feels good. So, like I said, we got the Pinot Grigio, and it says, Taste to the adventure. This Pinot Grigio is both refreshing and balanced. Flavors of fresh tropical fruit, bright citrus, and crisp pear shine with a clean finish. Enjoy a glass or two on its own or pair with an arugula salad or the perfect grilled chicken. Perfect for a picnic. We're pairing it with a podcast. And then it says, there's a quote. I don't know who Shannon White is, but this quote is by Shannon White. The best things come in small packages. My Boda box makes me happy. Aw, I bet that's just like their marketing person. No, right. Shannon White, like just a random person. No, she's the she's the social media gal. <laughs> so I've already been drinking it. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I we haven't had Pinot Grigio in quite a while. I don't think. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I can't remember we had a the Pinot last Noir one we had. the other week. We had like a Pinot Noir rose, or like a pink Pinot Noir. It was like a Pinot Noir rosé. I just yeah. remember we had a Pinot Noir. It was point. pink. It was weird. Yeah, I bet it was a rosé then. All right. Uh, so what are we cheersing to? Brianna? Yeah. Cheers for justice for Brianna. Praying to God. It's really mellow. Yeah, it is. Like, I don't know. This there's is not a-, a lot of, like, when they talked about all these fruit flavors, there's not a lot. Like, I don't get that. I wouldn't like, call this bad. an adventurous... I I think they're just talking it's a little, about like it's a, it's a boxed wine in general. Bland. Yeah, I mean it's not bad. I would definitely probably do Boda Box again. I'm just usually not a Pinot Grigio person because it's it's it traditionally kind of dry bland. and a little more mellow. It's good though. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, just a little bland. It's funny because. Um, when we first started this podcast, I think both you and I were more partial towards whites rather than sweet reds. whites. Yeah, um, and. The more we've done it, the more I'm gravitating towards reds like, you know, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Shiraz. Like there there was uh, one night last week where I cracked open a bottle and had a glass and I was like, this is the best 
life I am living right now. I, mean, I think <laughs> Moscato will always be my favorite. Oh, for sure. But it was it was great to like sit down and relax because that's a wine you can't just th- toss it back yeah, like right. a Moscato. I can just, like, chug Moscato. Yeah. Yeah, Moscato is like what you take out on the river. I'm you. I'm sorry. Stop playing footsie I'm, I'm with me on the I'm unfolding my legs. And first I hit her foot and then I kicked her like in the knee. I'm trying to be professional and you're just here trying to foot fuck me. It's okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I know it's that you're kind of podcast. <laughs> you're lucky I'm okay under, with it. It is under the table. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, well, I am starting us off this week Yay. and I am covering the Gulabi Gang. Never heard of them. I, I'm sure you haven't because I hadn't either. So we're always joking about our girl gang, the fighting girlfriends after Mario Aka. Hold on. I wrote down this pronunciation because it's hard. I know. I did it Octia once. Octia Braskaya. Octia yeah. Braskaya. Wow. You actually like tried a Russian accent. I, I didn't. A little bit. Here's the funny thing. I did 100% I found, American. I found a site where uh, it had the pronunciation for the last name in all these different languages and all the all the like American English pronunciations were like how I would try to do it. Yeah, which and that's is probably exactly that's probably exactly how I and did robotic. It. But then when I did the Russian one, it was so quick, and I'm like, <gasps> that's how that was me with Polish last week, and I'm like, yes, I, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. But I feel like I always reference back to her, so I'm like, I gotta learn how to say her name. So Aktia Braskaya. Um, and her tank, which was the fighting girlfriend. But today I'm going to tell you about a literal girl gang. And we're going to have to make a patch for them. Yeah. And because here's the other thing. They're still around, guys. Like, this is an active girl gang. And it's amazing. It's like the opposite of the Arlington ladies. Like, they're all nice and refined. And then... Yes. I I want to do like I almost wish you could do a podcast playlist where I could like save all the episodes of my girl gangs because I've got like the Edinburgh Seven, the Arlington Ladies, now the Gulabi Gang. Um, I did the Night Witches. Yep. I love a good group project. Like this is how group projects should be. Not by the way, one person's doing everything. Like our podcast. I'm kidding. Like I'm kidding. Podcast. We definitely share stuff. I was just kidding. <laughs> all right. So the, the Banda district of Uttar Pradesh, India, does not have a great reputation. In 2003, the Planning Commission, which is a government body in India, ranked Banda 154th out of 447 on their list of least progressive districts. And they used a much yeah, more like unflattering terrible. term. It's not terrible. It's not great, though. The area has a large population of Dalit people, which are considered the untouchables in India's caste system. So this is just like a very shallow overview of the caste system for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, India has a caste system that categorizes people into four hierarchical groups. At the top are the Brahims, which are like priests and teachers. Mm -hmm. Then the uh, Shutriyas, which are warriors and rulers. The Vishyas, uh, Vaishyas, sorry. Uh, farmers, traders, and merchants, the Shudras, which who are laborers, and then finally the Dalits, who are just the, the untouchables. untouchables. They are the lowest of the low. And that, that's what they're called. We're, like, we're not saying that. That is what they are called. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to be a bitch. Trying real hard, guys. Um, so... This caste system has been a huge part of India's history for a very long time, and there's no real way to move up in the caste system like you are where you are. And there's a whole history behind it that I did not get into because that's not really what this is about. 
India has tried to fight the cultural caste system, causing its influence to decline in metropolitan areas, but it still holds a lot of weight in rural areas like Banda. So it's kind of like, you know, metropolitan areas are traditionally more progressive and more open to change, but you get into those rural, very traditional areas, and that's where things, you know, are a little slower. And I feel like as I was reading this, I was making all these comparisons to the United States. And I'm like, I totally get what they're talking about because we have a lot of those things here. When you think of progressive ideas and where they really take hold and then where it takes a lot longer to take hold. Right, exactly. And it's, um, we listen to the, uh, the Uh-Oh Feeling podcast, which if you guys haven't checked it out, please do. Great. It's all about survivor stories. But one of the hosts, Emily, is a black woman and she's referenced multiple times that there are places in the United States where she will not travel because she does not feel safe or if she has to travel through there she is very on edge because she right. doesn't feel safe as a black woman interesting guys that's still a thing it is <laughs> anyway so those two uh those considered to be in the dalit class are frequent victims of discrimination poverty violence and all assorted shittiness right. imagine it it's probably happening this means that the Banda district is a tough place to live there's a lack of access to education jobs food and upward more morbidity mobility it's kind of a morbid topic i feel like it gets better guys i promise but thanks okay, to dual i have an i have an upper after yes. so. <laughs> but thanks to dual discrimination as difficult as for men who are in this class uh it's even worse for women who face domestic violence sexual assault child and arranged marriages a 47 percent illiteracy rate and more you just think about violence against women. Anything you can imagine, it's happening. In a video about the Gulabi gang from the Unstoppable Indians, which I'm like, that's amazing. Nazir Ahmad, who is a, a resident of the area, said, quote, It was really hard for the women here. They had no rights once they were married. There have been instances of quick trigger warning for extreme violence against women. If you don't like this, please skip ahead about 15 seconds. Uh, there have been instances of women being burned alive. They've been thrown out of their homes, women hung to death. But ever since the birth of the Gulabi gang, there has been some improvement. Some women can enforce some of their rights, end quote. Founded in 2006 by Samta Devi Paul, the Gulabi gang, which literally means pink gang. That's awesome. So they are the literal pink ladies? Like, yes! <laughs> and they're way better than Greece because they're not hooking up with all the rapists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Kaniki. Fucking A. That was his name, right? I didn't just fuck that up. The one that was dating Rizzo? Yeah, yeah. where he was like, did she put up a fight? Yeah. Like, yeah. what? That was no, yeah. you're doing exactly. it wrong. Like, that shouldn't happen. Ugh different times anyway well it's so. funny because in the movie they actually all like he says that and they all go like look at him like what have you seen okay side note there was a i don't know if it was a, a cracked video or a college humor one of the i mean i think they're owned by the same company but uh it was a parody of that scene yep. where he's like did you did she put up a fight and and they all actually stop, stop and, they're, and like, they're like what dude what what the fuck are you doing to women? We need to talk about yeah, this. Women I should not it. be fighting you off. That is rape. <laughs> yeah, I remember that and it was great. 
So uh, the Gulabi Gang was formed in 2006 as a vigilante group of women who were defending women in the community from violence. Instead of wearing pink jackets like the pink ladies, they wear pink saris and are armed with bamboo sticks, which they use to defend themselves or bring the pain to abusive shit stains. That's going to be their patch. It's going to be a pink sari with like a bamboo stick. And it says, bring in the pain to abusive shit stains. Sure. See, there I can rhyme, but I can't think of like panty pussy revealing puns. It'll Damn come. it. It'll it will. Come. You're going to be in the middle of your story. You're going to be at a very like, emotional point, And I'm just going to start yelling about vaginas. <laughs> They also teach women self-defense so that they can defend themselves and intervene in child marriages and arranged marriages. Good. And I guess uh, the the woman who founded it, Debbie, or sorry, Sampat, Debbie Paul, uh, she had used a bamboo stick to fend off an abusive neighbor. And she's like, damn, this thing is awesome. We should oh, yeah. all be using these. <laughs> so now I'm definitely going to be like walking around with a bamboo stick. Fuck just yeah. fucking... You can't call me bitch. This thing has a six foot reach. <laughs> Smack. Some pot was quoted as saying, yes, we fight rapists with sticks. If we find the culprit, we thrash him black and blue. So he dare not attempt to do wrong to any girl or Good. woman again. And I'm like, yeah, guys, rapists should get their fucking asses kicked. They right. suck. Well, and then everyone sees that. And like, clearly, then they know something happened. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, the reason that these women have had to take matters into their own hands is because they get no support. There are no, no there, there's no policing of these issues, and actually, a lot of these things are c- acceptable. It's common. It's you know, it's it, it's like um, it's the even, man's right as the husband or the a man. You know, yeah. and even in the United States, we seem to grapple with the idea of marital rape being a thing because it 100 percent is when oh, you yeah. get married, that person does not have. The they don't own your, your body. body. Period. Yeah. No one ever owns your body but you. Exactly. Period. And so they're just like, we're not fucking, we're not going to take this shit. The Gulabi Gang quickly expanded from a local group to a widespread women's oh, movement yay. with upwards of 400,000 members spanning across India, particularly in the Uttar Pradesh district or province. Sorry. Uh, the Gulabi Gang also expanded their mission to fighting for women's rights, labor rights, and against government corruption. So they went from just being like, this dude raped someone, we're going to beat his ass, to being like, we're going to like start tackling this as a whole. Like, there's a lot of us. Let's put our weight behind stuff. Exactly. So they are not a female exclusive organization and do have male members. Remember, the point is not to hate on men, but to fight patriarchal oppression. And if you are against patriarchal oppression, it does not matter what your gender is. Right. We're all friends here. (laughs) In at least one instance, 7,000 Banda farmers, who were mostly men, were protesting to demand better compensation for their work, especially if, like, the crops died. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you had a bad... still deserve something. Well, it's like, oh, we had a bad season, so you're all going to starve to death. Too bad. Like, that's why we have crop insurance. Uh, But they were not getting that. They were getting Mm -hmm. fucked. So because of the Gulabi gang's reputation for activism, the farmers asked them to join at the protest, which they did. So all these people are protesting and marching, and then you have all these women in their pink saris with their bamboo sticks, like, come fuck you up. In addition to looking... I want them on my side. Right? Like, how intimidating would that be if, like... People are standing there protesting and then like on the horizon, you just see all these women it's coming like with their bamboo sticks. fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's the a Gandalf coming over, coming over the hill. 
Well, Especially since he raises his staff. That's what I envision yes. as the person in the front that's just like, ah! Well, and there's there's video footage of the women, like, you know, going around, and they're all in their pink saris, which, like, to, to see everyone in their uniform is intimidating because, like, these are all one group and they are a exactly. force. And let's all remember, pink used to be a masculine color because it's a, it looks like blood. Yeah, exactly. So... Pink is an intimidating color. It's like bright pink. This isn't like any millennial antique. Yeah, so it's one of those that you're not going to blend into a crowd. People are going to see you. Yeah, and in force. Yeah, that would be scary as hell. In addition to looking at the big picture, the Gulabi gang has individual stations set up in communities, which are led by a commander to help address issues within the immediate community. So they are fighting like on larger scale issues, but they also acknowledge their roots are community activism you know especially because they're living in they're in areas where the police aren't really helping them the culture is still not that progressive and it's not it's patriarchal oppression that's that's the root of it they not only defend women against violence but also provide food education financially support widows who can't like afford to keep themselves alive or their children uh, and empower the impoverished to become economically self-sufficient. That's amazing. So it's not just you're an asshole, I'm going to beat you up. It's helping women to rise up on their own because, as we are constantly saying, empowered women empower women. Right. There's still the you're an asshole, I'm going to beat you up, but it's like, and I'm going to help your wife become better so she can just not be with you. Yeah, exactly. Because especially with education, like I mentioned before, there's like a 47% uh, illiteracy rate among women in this area. And education is so crucial to breaking out of poverty, to getting out of bad situations, to oh, it really is. excel financially, it's it's the key to everything. And so if someone's ever trying to limit your education, watch out because they're a bastard. Yeah, don't let them do it. While the Gulabi gang does fight against government corruption, they do prefer to work outside of the system. So again, they are a vigilante group, you know? Right. Uh, st- they are still a gang, guys. <laughs> because this way they can have a direct impact on the communities in which they operate. In 2010, a law was enacted to reserve 33% of parliamentary seats for women in India's government. However, the Gulabi gang stated that even women can be corrupt, further staying their position as a community organization. That's awesome. Because they're like, hey, great, more female representation to talk but about that female-centric mean issues. Going to be, but that, that's exactly. the thing. It doesn't mean that those women will be centered on female-centric issues. They could still be like all about women's oppression. Exactly. Because that's the thing. A lot of times you'll see women that end up in male dominated roles get there because they think the same as those men. And that's, you know, they embody some of the toxic virtues. So so men are just like, oh, you know, she's fine because she thinks just like us. You know, she's not going to change the status quo. Yeah. If we promote her, so it's fine. Well, and we even have this in the United States. We rely very heavily on independent community organizations to support us. Uh, the uh, the Ruth Ellis Center mm-hmm. is critical for serving um, LGBTQ plus youth, particularly those of color in Michigan, because that's a group that is largely. Damn, you finished your wine. Good. Uh, but that's a group that's largely underrepresented, undervalued, and needs assistance that the government cannot deal with or won't. Right. So 
In 2014, uh, Gulabi gang founder Sampat Devi Paul w- stepped down or was removed. It was a little like not Fuzzy. super sure. Yeah. Uh, so she was removed from her pres- position as commander in chief due to alleged financial indiscretion. Mm. So she, it, it seemed she like she was maybe like dipping into the till yeah. or not using funds responsibly. However, she is still a prominent and active member. That's good. Maybe they're just like, hey, you don't get to be in charge of the money anymore. Yeah, I, it was. I couldn't find a ton of information on that. I didn't want to leave it out, though, because I do want to acknowledge if there's something weird going on. Obviously, the women we cover are not perfect and they're not pillars of virtue. Right. Uh, and obviously, when a organization gets big enough, it uh, becomes more open to corruption. So right. hopefully things are going okay. And I don't have a legacy section as this group is still active. And really, their legacy is the uh, the work they're currently doing yeah. for the communities they serve. They're working hard not only to attain justice for those who are victimized by the system and for being women, but also empowering women in the community so that they can better defend themselves, have access to education, financial independence, and overall have better lives. Yeah. That was the part Which I really amazing. loved. They're not just going around beating people up. No. They're making sure... The women that they're protecting are also um, the women that they're protecting are bettering themselves. Yeah. And have access to opportunities. Right. To better their lives, because that that's another thing. There's just not a lot of opportunity in these areas. I'm going to end this with a quote from a uh, journalist and author of Pink Sari Revolution, Amana Fontanella Khan, uh, because I think she sums this up very well. Quote, the justice system in... Bundlekhand is dysfunctional and unreliable. The Gulabi gang has stepped into the vacuum left by the state and offers an alternative means of attaining justice. Yeah. And so I th- that was a shorty. There are some documentaries about them that I could not find. So guys, if anyone like knows where those are, I'd love to watch it. Anyone but, in India listens and can get us in contact with right? them. We would love to talk to them. But I found them. There was like a really brief snippet about them on the Rejected Princesses site, which again, oh, guys, really? if wow. you are not on that site, get on there. It's so much fun. You um, need to like talk to him and be like, I know. I, I, be I might. I might. I need to reach out to him and be like, can we like interview you I or did something? tag him in our last Instagram post because I uh, I shared his art because that would be Sophie that would Morgeau. be really cool if we maybe that'll be a Patreon thing mm. that'd be cool I also love that this is a guy who's like he ha- was having a conversation with some people about princesses that were too badass for Disney and he just ran with it like right. he started creating these illustrations and there's it's so cool I'd, I also like when you, if you Google it and I know this because I just Googled it like the sub the sub thing is it says Rejected princesses. History that's more than two-dimensional. Yeah. Also, I'm a little drunk. That wine really kicked you in the ass, didn't it? It doesn't take a lot these days. Mm. Maybe not drunk. You're feeling it. I I get that. I get what you're saying. Also, like... It's smooth. It goes down very smoothly. Also, I think I poured, like, double what we normally have. Because normally I go to the bottom of the H, which dips. And now I went to the middle of the H because it came out real fast. Ah, Okay. (laughs) So ye. That's okay. You don't have to go anywhere. And now you no, get to talk. No, I live here. Okay. Yeah, that's why I'm worried. It's okay. I don't have any hard pronunciations today. What? I I hope I did mine okay. I I 
wrote down a lot well, of when pronunciation you, when you notes. said the <laughs> name of the person I covered I was like I don't remember saying it like that so now I feel like I mispronounced her name I don't think you did I think I just uh put too Russianized much it I put a lot of effort into saying her name because I mentioned it would literally like, once as a reference like <laughs> I might have a little actually what I might do is uh Later on, because we're having dinner together, because we're fancy grabs. we have upstairs. I was going to say, dip into some of the other wines that we have yet to finish, our orphan wines. Yeah, I'd be game for that. Yeah. We should we should do a poll on Facebook where it's, where it's like, which orphan wine do you want us to drink on our next episode? <laughs> yeah, we actually could. Maybe when we're through, like, we have a few bottles, like, left. Yeah, we should. Okay, cool. All right. So today I'm covering Gertrude Emily Banham. <gasps> I love that name. I know, right? That's a great middle name. It's so strong. Um, she that went bitch by, sounds she like she has a by, podcast. Yeah, right. Exactly, right? Um, she went by Truda for short, and that's what I'll be calling her. Gertrude Truda, Truda. Emily. I actually really like that. Benham. Benham. Yep. Benham. Like so that. she was... Trudeau was born in July of 1867 in Marlebone in the Marlebone section of London. She was the youngest of six children of Fre- Frederick and Emily Benham. So she got the middle name from her mother. Okay. Good name. Good strong right? name. <laughs> her father was an iron manufacturer and throughout her childhood she would accompany him on his summer trips to the Alps. They would rove around the Swiss countryside, and she even ended up trekking up the Matterhorn with him. Oh, my God. And at that time, she said she was, quote, bitten with the love of mountains. Oh, I thought she was going to say bitten by a snake. (laughs) Um, And it was a feeling that would stay with her for the rest of her life. Like, she just became, like, obsessed with mountains. Um, However, she ended up staying at home, and she cared for her aging parents until she was 36. Her father died in 1891, and then she was taking care of her mother, who died in 1903. Oh, bummer. Right. Afterward, she decided to satisfy that travel. Itch. She'd kind of been suppressing all of those years. Well, because she's caring for her dying parents, exactly. who are just dying, dropping like flies, it seems. Right. That's a really, I don't know, that just doesn't seem like a lot of time between deaths. I mean, it's... Nine years? No. Twelve years? 91 to 1903. Okay. Well, yeah. still. I, I think I think if I had 12 years between parental deaths, I'd be like, I am just starting to get my shit back together. And now I have to exactly. start That's all what over, I was thinking. except it's worse. <laughs> um, the, her parents did leave her a small inheritance, which she took and immediately went to Canada because this was when like the Rocky Mountains were first becoming accessible. And she was like, all right, I'm oh, going to cool. go to the Rocky Mountains. When Trudeau stepped off, stepped off the train in Canada in June, she immediately began bagging summits with a pair of local guides. So she was just climbing all the mountains. The guys she was with were brothers Hans and Christian Kaufman. And the first stop, the first place they went was the Valley of Ten Peaks in Alberta. So it's like a set of 10 mountains that are all like kind of interconnected. There's a really beautiful postcard of it that I'll post on the blog. Um, at the time that she was climbing them, the peaks were simply numbered one through ten in the language of the Nakota people. I just thought of a pun. What <laughs> for the for the vagina thing? What if you can't see my clit, you must acquit. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's, I knew it. Uh, that, that's valid. That maybe is relying a little too much on 
the if the glove don't fit. I don't care. Not that guys can find the clit anyway, ladies. <laughs> exactly. Oh the, yeah, did you judge, see my clit? Where was it? Exactly. The judge uh, wouldn't. Uh, the uh, judge wouldn't know. Isn't that a myth? You saw nothing. Exactly. Uh I knew I was just going to shout out inappropriately. Yeah, exactly. So as I was saying, I'm so sorry. At the time, the peaks of the Valley of Ten Peaks were simply numbered one through ten in the language of the Nakota people, which were like the natives to that area. So number one, um, which was known as Hiji, was a ten thousand six hundred and thirteen foot crest of glaciated mountain rising from Moraine Lake. So the postcard is. This lake and then like this mountain range. It's fucking gorgeous. And I just want to go there. We need to go to Canada. <laughs> um, they won't let us in anymore. Right. No one will let us in anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> However, at the time, um, the Geographic Board of Canada had asked an eminent American climber named Charles Fay to select a peak to be named in his honor. And of course, he chose the highest one. Hiji. Compensating. Exactly. Um, and so he arrived very soon around the same time Truda did to climb the mountain that they had now named after him. Okay. Or were going to name after him. Truda, however, had her eye on that same mountain, obviously, because if you're there, you're going to climb the highest mountain available. Yeah. I, I um, love she's not even like working her way. Well, I'll start with the the shorter. I mean, of she the was she, she was uh, what they said was the bagging peaks. Like she was just climbing whatever mountain she could. Oh, oh, so she was climbing. But, yeah, okay. other mountains, but she was still like, that's the one I want to climb. Okay, so she I was see. Kind of, you know, so as I was about to say, Truda had her eye on the same peak. Like she wanted to climb Hiji. And on July 19th, she and Christian Kaufman climbed an icy hourglass between peaks number three and four. However, they thought it was the summit of Hiji. Like they thought they were on Hiji. Um, however, they were later discussing their route down at base camp on the, on the, on Moraine Lake. Um, and a fellow mountaineer told them that they were incorrect, that that, you know, wasn't Hiji. It was mountains three and four. There's so many mountains. They're like getting them all exactly. confused. Um, so Hiji at this point had yet to be climbed. Wait, so why are they naming it after that one guy? If he Just because he was... An impressive climber. I don't know. They didn't really go into detail. I didn't really look it up because I didn't care. He just would start swinging his dick around. Yeah, but He's probably. Like, I climb. I'm a man. I want this mountain. So as I said, Hiji was yet to be claimed, and Faye, the guy that they were naming it after, intended to climb it the next day, and he he had hired Hans Kaufman. So originally, Trudeau was was traveling with both brothers, but then her and Christian kind of started climbing separately, and so yeah, they started this, climbing. The, <laughs> Actually, no. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. You I don't know. You gotta stay warm on those fucking mountains, yeah. Kelly. Um, they probably shared a tent. Uh, Sleeping but, bag. So he hired the other brother. Okay. To guide him up Hiji. This is very dramatic. Like, there's a, there's a, um, you there's know. A love triangle Battle going of the on. sexes. Maybe a love triangle. There's some inter-family shit going on. That was your glass. Oh, I was worry, like, I Kelly. <laughs> We're making healthy decisions. I don't know if our listeners can hear the shh of wine. It's so satisfying, you guys. So, Faye. So, not only was he an expert climber, he was the founder of the Boston's Appalachian Mountain Club. So, I don't know. Maybe that's why he got to name it. Okay. But, so, him and Hans um, started early from Consolation Lake. So, the other two were at Moraine Lake. These guys are at Consolation Lake. I'm 
gesturing, but I don't know Canada at all. So <laughs> no, no, um, no, if I hold my hand like this, this is Canada. Point in my hand where it is. Exactly. Do you ever do that? Like uh, I remember when I was in Scotland. My uh, we had a professor like, who lived in Scotland who this taught us a class, Minnesota. and he would always use his hand. And people do that Michigan. for Michigan too, because that and actually Minnesota. looks like Michigan. I've seen people do it for Wisconsin too, but I think it's yeah. a little harder. Okay, so they started from Constellation Lake, and they climbed only to abandon their climb due to difficult snow conditions and rockfall. However, at the same time, on the same day, Truda and Christian actually managed to climb the mountain. They had taken a completely different route, and so they kind of avoided all those obstacles and managed to summit the mountain. Oh, my God. Um, Annoyed. Faye decided, <laughs> obviously. Oh my God. Faye decided to give his name to another peak in the range. He was like, fine, if I couldn't be the first to summit that, I'll name something else and summit it. That's got to be embarrassing to like be named after the mountain that you can't even right? fucking climb. Um, however, the other peak that he picked, he learned that Truda had also already climbed that one. Oh, so he would just get her sloppy yep. seconds. So eventually he just relented. <laughs> Still took Hiji to be named um, Mount Frey or Fay, which I think it is now. Um, I'm gonna still call it Hiji. Um, and he made the second ascent of the mountain. So that's that's her starting. Oh, this that's not the whole story that no, she like cuckolded this no, guy out of his mountain. <laughs> it's great. Um, so by the time that uh, Faye had actually managed to climb his mountain, Trudeau was just trekking af- across canada She's burning through she mountains. was just fucking like she was notches in her belt my favorite thing is they called it peak bagging and i'm like that's fantastic you know i'm making this all sound like sexual conquest but i already feel like the mountaineers have done that right? so i'm not leaving you don't even not- need it you don't even need it yeah so she not only was she climbing mountains but she decided to end it with a a remarkable traverse of canada so she sent out she set out from lake louise which i think is on the eastern side of canada i don't know i probably should have looked at a map but she set out at lake louise at midnight with both brothers so she was back with both brothers now crossing the saddle between mount lafoy and mount victoria dropping down to lake o'hara and then ascending the cataract valley and climbing the 10,495 foot summit of mount stefan um and they climbed it not only did they climb it but they climbed it by a previously unclimbed ridge so they they took oh, a shit. completely new path they reached the town of this is the best town name by the way so they reached the town of field in the kicking horse valley shut your goddamn mouth yeah. the what the town name is field in the kicking horse valley <laughs> field in the kicking horse valley okay there's a lot to unpack there first of all it's not even a town it's a field that happens to be in the kicking horse valley which i just assume is a prairie full of fucking horses that are just like wild horses yeah like they're doing like the the karate they're like (laughs) (laughs) can you tell we emily doesn't have to go anywhere right away so can you tell we've had more wine than we normally do? here's the thing i feel like we haven't no but i'm definitely but i think we have it's been kind of a weird couple days for me so i'm just uh it's all coming out really uh, weird ways day two of us hanging out together so maybe that's it day two of three guys this is the trilogy you have all been wanting (laughs) right so yeah they reached 
field in the Kicking Horse Valley by lantern light at three o'clock the next morning. So they just trekked straight. Early. It was a 27 hour day and they netted more than 22 miles and 9,000 vertical feet. God, they hatched so many eggs in Pokemon Go. Right, exactly. That's a lot of fucking eggs. So she followed that trek. So she followed crossing Canada up in 1908 by walking across South America. Oh, my God. She went from Valparaiso, Chile to Buenos Aires. So, like, she kind of, like, went diagonal. Oh, my God. Um, The next year after that, she decided to trek across Central Africa. She walked 600 miles from Central Zambia to the southern tip of Lake Tanyika. Tanyika. Um, and then from there, she went to Kilimanjaro, where oh, shit. she would face one of her most harrowing treks. So at this point in history, um, attempts to summit Kilimanjaro by Europeans had begun in about the 1860s. I'm sure natives had probably tried to climb it long before then. But obviously, like, the Europeans are the ones that kept history of it, which is, you know, whatever. Yeah. But at this time, it was one of the most treacherous climbs. And it still is. But back then, it was even worse than it was today because climate change has kind of reduced the risk of sudden blizzards. Like, you okay. can kind of predict it a little more, whereas back then, it was just like, suddenly, you're in a blizzard. Just imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine. Imagine. Stop it's, typing and imagine it's that. It's funny because I was I was thinking, like, when she went from Canada to South America, I was like, she's just sick of all that fucking snow. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, no, when you get high enough off up on these mountains it's like when we went to when we went to las vegas all the mountains still still had had their snow snow even though we're in the middle of the fucking desert here's the thing though i love that because i would love to live in a place where i can engage with winter on my own terms right where it's like you know what i'm just i i want to go in the snow and i'm feeling kind of festive i'm going to go up on the mountain and be in the snow and then i can just be done right? with it and you're like i'm done i was talking with i was talking with jared about this the other day i was talking with you too actually yeah. because i was relaying the story one of the things i love about summer is I get really excited for it. There's all this outdoor time. The weather's pretty good. There's almost always something to do. Because even if it's really awful hot, you can go swimming. You go in the lake. You go in a pool. You do something. And then by the time mid to late August comes around. You're ready for it to be done. You're ready. You're like, okay, I did my summer thing. I'm ready to move on to fall. And then fall comes. And that's great. But winter is the uninvited guest. The winter is the guest that's like, this party's till question mark, right? And then you think they're gone. And then they keep barging and like, I forgot my crudite platter. Oh my God. I I forgot to tell you this thing. They're like the Minnesota goodbye of seasons. And no one wants them. No one even wanted them to show up in the first place. Right? They're that friend you invite out of pity because you're like you have a bunch of mutual right. friends you're like i have you're to like, invite them they're otherwise like, it's you're rude. like they're gonna find out about yeah. it i have to invite them i rather invite them to then explain why exactly I, I lost their invitation in the mail or something right. god damn so truda decided to strap in and strap on mm-hmm. um and set out to climb kilimanjaro on her way she passed a unit of german soldiers that warned her the climb hadn't been completed by, quote, any Britisher, literally what they said, Britisher man or woman, Britisher. and very seldom by anyone else. And this was um, a quote written by uh, Ray Haujijo, who is Truda's biographer. Okay. So I, I reference him again later. Um, so Truda went up with, it was like her and like three or four, um, what are they called? Porters. Mm-hmm. Like people carrying her stuff. And like yeah. a guide. 
So as they were going up, Trudis party passed a heap of skeletons of previously people that have tried to climb Kilimanjaro. Oh, you hear about it on Everest, too. I know. Because they like just leave them boots. up there. My favorite murder does an episode where they cover the bodies on Everest and how they basically become... They become markers. Markers, yeah. Of how far you've gotten. Because you can't bring you can't, them down. No, it's too dangerous. Uh, and it, it's weird because you can kind of... By the attire, tell like, okay, this person was How definitely recent. in the yep. 80s. This seems a little more recent. This seems even older. Exactly. That, that shit always fucks me up. So they passed this heap of skeletons and her porters were like, you know what? We're done. <laughs> I kind of get that. Um, they viewed it as a sign of like evil spirits or, you know, like that the peak was haunted. Truda didn't care though and finished the climb on her own. And she was the first female to summit or near summit, you know, like it's her own account. So they're not sure if she actually like truly reached the summit, but because she got no higher than anyone her? fucking else. Okay. Um, and she was the first female to do so. That is insane. To her, the views from the summit were 100% worth it. She said, quote, my first feeling up there was that was that of being absolutely on top of the world. And that was what she said to uh, the Daily Mail in Britain some years later when they interviewed her. And no woman would climb as high as her on Kilimanjaro for another 18 years. Wow. Um, when Sheila McDonald would go on to reach um, the, the Kimbo Summit, which is not like the true peak. I think it's like one or two below that. Or yeah. the Kaibo Summit in 1927. You know what's crazy about that? Like... You get to the skeletons, and then it's just like, no, 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 there's fewer the higher up you go. It's fine. This is only going to be less skeletal the further right? up It's only going to get better the farther we go. Yeah, guys, guys, like, if you can just get past the first pile of the bodies, first, it's fine. I know it's a big pile, but if you just keep going. Like, they, they blow their load right at the beginning. <laughs> it's all shot. and then like being a virgin, that just, you know, like, everything you else push is very- past that initial... Everything else is very underwhelming. Yeah, like the exactly. skeletons are so few and far between after that. <laughs> I mean, there's really nothing to look at up there. Yeah, guys, um, it's it's very underwhelming. Um, so Truda was still traveling at the time when Sheila um, reached the summit. And she would go on to read about um, later. It would You know, she would read about it. Uh, I assume she was proud. They really didn't mention like how she reacted to it. But I assume she was like, fuck yeah, woman, get it. Yeah, you know? I, I bet she was. Um, but Truda hadn't been wasting those 18 years between her summoning and Sheila summoning. Um, by that time, she'd crossed Africa three times. She would walk west to east across across the African continent and would be accompanied by a, ro- a rotating cast of seven porters, one for each of her bags. Oh my God! So is right. she? So she's not only just climbing mountains; she's also just she's just walking. trekking across places. Yeah, she just that isn't. I kind of, I, oh, I'm it sure, gets, I'm it sure it's better. intense and very difficult and dangerous, but I'm like, that just sounds great. I just get to walk. Right. And just travel and explore you're, and walk. You're and gonna I don't need to do anything in a little bit. Else. I just get Two to walk. Two things, actually. So in all of her travels, all of this time, and actually I think all of her travels combined, like including what I'm, I'm going to talk about, because there's more, um, Truda was known to only have fallen ill once. Jesus Christ, are you serious? She contracted malaria when she was in Calcutta after sleeping under a torn mosquito net. Somehow, she even managed to avoid cholera during this when when the disease was circulating aboard the ship she was on when she was crossing the Bay of Bengal during a cyclone. I have had so not allergies only was there for three months, months, and she's trekking across the goddamn world. And gets sick. Once. And, and that's because the mosquito net was torn. Right. Like, and it's like she was on a fucking boat 
in a cyclone, which means there is no way she wasn't below deck. Yeah. And managed to not get cholera. What the fuck? I want, I want her um, immune system. Right. You, you know, it's like if you if you think about the 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 fittest survive, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like the good immune systems get passed down or this and that like her descendants must just be on top. Of oh, the yeah. One hundred percent. They're walking around like I got this COVID, shit, my bitch. Right? <laughs> like, should we be studying them? <laughs> Right, so she was extremely self-sufficient. She was considered a jack-of-all-trades, and she wrote, quote, she was. She wrote that she was a jack-of-all-trades, and she also wrote that as well as she would sketch, she was into botany and writing. As she traveled, as I said, she would draw things and pick up plants, like, as she went, and later her drawings were actually used in mapping the country she would explore. Oh, my God. She always traveled either alone or with guides native to the country she was in. Which that is, is amazing. Wild. Yeah. I feel like I get bored. Like, I need someone to. to I would have talk to have at to. least one other person. Like, I would have to have a guide the entire time because, yeah, otherwise I would be like, my own company's boring. But I'd need a guide that I really click with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd have sounds, to find, like, you and guide for That sounds terrible because I, I would need, like, or I need a podcast or something to right. just really stay engaged. Just stick your earphones in and go. Yeah. I bet she had earphones, I mean. Right. So at this time, she was she financed her own trips with a budget of about only 250 pounds a year. It's about $13,000 today, but still, to trek multiple places. That's a plane ticket. $13,000 a year. That is a plane ticket. That's not per trip. That's not like, that's per year, For guys. her to walk across an entire goddamn continent. Exactly. She would often trade embroidery and drawings and other miscellaneous things for food along the way. For entertainment, she carried three things. A pocketbook of Shakespeare for drama, Richard D. Blackmore's Lorna Doone for romance, and a copy of the Bible. So she always had those three things with her. Drama, romance, and religion, which has both. (laughs) Exactly. She displayed little interest in standard practices of the time. She never married, and she wasn't one for fame or like talking about her adventures she would much rather just like go out and live them yeah so like she was the the first woman to climb kilimanjaro she didn't go and like brag about it all over the world she was just like okay what's next yeah she was just like i'm doing this because i want to exactly and that's it and she like occasionally talked to newspapers but i think it was probably like somebody else was like hey go check out this woman you know yeah however her adventurous lifestyle didn't always rub people the right way like you know she kind of created some enemies for one she went on to be elected a member of the royal geographical society in 1916 which is a big deal because she's they're using her drawings to map entire countries yeah and i mean the royal geographic society is a very prestigious academic network um that funded and published geographical research so yeah of course she's drawing maps she's like doing all this exploring of course they're gonna want her however she resigned within six months because her lively descriptions of local people and scenic scenic views rankled the society's more science-minded members. They didn't want the emotional component. They wanted the exactly. the bare bones, nitty gritty kind of like. Oh, yeah. They want the scientific, like very like. I don't know if you can hear that. Kelly's chopping her hands you know, like, together. If you've ever seen Bones, how in the first like six seasons, how Bones talks, where she is very literal, very like clinical. Exactly. That's what they want. 
Here's the thing. She she's doing like travel writing though. Yeah. Where she she's telling a story. Yeah, of but they don't want that. The they want the places. They want, you know, this river was there. This you know like, and that's as that's, clinical as you can be about. That's that. a shame because both are both are necessary because there there right? are people who are very suspicious of any writing that's emotional. Here's the thing though. Every single thing we do in this world is emotional. Is our, uh, exactly. our emotions not taint? I almost said taint. Our emotions influence. Everything we do, everything we experience, has Even an if emotional you think they con- don't. reaction. However, the the scientific and the clinical element is also important for understanding, yeah. especially for you documenting, and uh, you know, especially understanding something much further in the future. Because it's like, okay, were they saying this because are they like embellishing? It's like, no, this is just the facts. This right. is the bare bones. But also to understand that emotional component is very important. You can't get rid of that, right? So also like 1916, that's kind of World War One ish Yeah. So she kind of like was quiet after that. But as soon as World War One ended in France, which is 1919, was that's when the Treaty of Versailles was signed. As one writer put it, it was as soon as the guns quieted. That's, what, that's how <laughs> they wrote it. But as soon as World War One ended in France... She took off again. It's like how all of us, once the pandemic is, oh, we're gonna be fucking to everywhere. Like the airports are going to be a goddamn nightmare. Exactly. But so when World War One ended, she was back on her way to India. Um, she made a remarkable journey, crossing some seven hundred miles from the southern Himalayas, continuing along the Indus River, following what was the old Silk Road back when, like, okay, that was a big trading thing. She also went on to cross South Southern Africa in 1921 and then made her way home to England by way of Australia and the South Pacific in 1923. So she took like a roundabout way to get home. This would be her fifth trip around the world. Jesus Christ. I loved how there was a time where you could be an adventurer like this. I kind of wish I was. I Tra- like a you travel. You have to have the Some money. Some people man. still do though. Yeah, like there's travel vloggers, and that's literally all they do. And I'm like, I want to do that. Right. I would be broke in like two weeks. Oh, there was a guy. I I don't remember his name, but basically he sold an app to Facebook or Instagram yeah. or like like some software or something. Was it the guy that bikes a- around with his cat? Or his no. dog. Because there is someone I follow on Instagram that, that, that like he did well. He did something like that. Yeah, I made a bunch of money. And now he just bikes around with his cat in his backpack. That's amazing. But no, he he basically, him, his wife, and I think it's his two daughters or two children travel around yeah. the world in a boat because they can. And I'm just kind of like, God damn it. Right. <laughs> so the following year after completing her fifth trip around the world, so we're on 1924 now. Truda, who is now in her mid-50s, went back to India again. Um, And this time, she really, really pressed the administration in India to to get permission to enter Tibet. She not only wanted to enter Tibet, but she wanted to go through the less used Western passes. She she didn't want to go like the traditional way into Tibet. Where everyone's already been there. She was denied, and she spent weeks poking around the border region anyways, and her repeated efforts to enter the country by this forbidden route actually caused authorities to create a dossier on tracking her travel and communications. Oh my god. Yep. They described her as quote, a thorough nuisance, end quote. <laughs> I know the I know the name of this half of the episode, right. a thorough nuisance. Exactly. Truda would protest that she was quote, a very quiet and harmless traveler, end quote. Um, she would go on to enter Tibet legally through the conventional route, which is through the trading um city of guy Gai- guyanzi 
1925. So she she did get into Tibet. She just finally gave up and was like, fine. <laughs> um, she stayed for about eight weeks and then kept fucking going because you can't stop this woman. No. Um, she briefly stopped back in England and then began her sixth trip around the world visiting. This is, so this is her route. She went to Natal, Zanzibar, Sudan, Egypt, Syria, India, Malaya, Hong Kong, California, Guatemala, Belize, the West Indies, Trinidad, and then back to England in 1928. So it took her about two years. There, there are a lot of those places I probably could not point out on a map. Like, so she went. So from England, she went east. Yeah, and then around. Um, in 1929, this is a quote from. How Jijo, which is like the the biographer I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So he says, quote, she was back in the Himalaya for a second attempt to gate crash Tibet. In this, she was unsuccessful. Her confidential file now bearing the damning verdict. She is a bad type of British traveler to be to be allowed to enter Tibet. So like basically they were like, no, you're not fucking allowed in Tibet At ever this again. Point, they're just like doubling down because they're like i'm sick of you asking right (laughs) three years later uh she tried again camping close to the border and far from the prying eyes of the government officials her attention was to cross tibet again through these forbidden channels though it's unclear whether she actually succeeded or not because again she wasn't one to talk about her adventures yeah she wasn't like her three headcanon she deaf broke into tibet i like i like to imagine she's right on the board she's like sticks her foot over and she's like (laughs) She def one hundred percent broke into Tibet. Though. I feel like if she had the opportunity, she definitely oh, yeah. would have just one hundred percent. So that's it. I'm her three head cannon. Yeah, she broke into Tibet. True to finish her seventh circumnavigation of the world. Uh, this time she had extensive stops in South America, and this lasted her until about 1934. She went back to England after that um, and told an interviewer she had quote visited every part of the British Empire except Tristan de Canha, which I don't know what that is, and a f- other few small islands. So it must be an island. And she had quote climbed more than 300 peaks of 10,000 feet or over. So not only was she traversing the world, but she was still climbing mountains. Yeah. Um, good Trude, God. Truda's last expedition started in 1935. This one was to study the natural landscape of an archipelago in the South Pacific. Her plan after that was then to take one last trip around the globe before settling down on Britain's South Coast. Three years into this journey, she was about three quarters of the way into the into her trip around the world. This would have been her eighth trip. However, she ended up dying aboard the ship she was on oh no off the coast of east africa and was buried at sea oh my god that's pretty common. no i i, I guess it's like you're I'm not gonna like, sail around with a dead body on your no, ship. No, no no absolutely not and especially at that time that would be hugely irresponsible right. because disease and rats exactly and whatnot. but i'm ju- it just like she's doing all these things she's climbing mountains she's r- running around right. the world and then and she dies at sea and she's thrown overboard she like was what? 80 oh god yeah she was old she was let's see if she was born in 1867 and we're in 1930 something 1938 jeez so she was like 81 yeah um the exact circumstances of her death are unknown people didn't keep great records back then but what is known or at least what appears to be certain is that on to the very day that she died, she maintained, as she put it, quote, the spirit of wanderlust that has entered my soul. Yeah. End quote. So legacy. She doesn't actually have a very long legacy, or at least I couldn't 
flung my wedding ring. Um, at least I couldn't find a, like a lot about her legacy. Um, she there is a, a peak on one of the summits of Mount Roger, which is in Glacier National Park. So this is next to where Faye has his mountain. Okay. Um, and they named it Tr- Truda Peaks. I was gonna say I I I want to call Mount Faye or whatever it right. is Truda. Mount like Truda Mountain exactly. or something because I'm like so she, well, but she, she climbed does, it first she does have <laughs> a, a different summit named after her and her climbing boots are climbing boots and other like climbing paraphernalia and traveling paraphernalia are on display in the Plymouth City Museum and Art Gallery. That's cool. That's it though. That's all I could find on her legacy. Well, but she did so much during her life, but she was very. private Private about it yeah she didn't it it didn't seem like she wrote a bunch of books it didn't seem like she was going on she literally just wanted to travel god what kind of inheritance did her parents leave her where she actually called it like a modest a modest yeah i mean 250 pounds a year that could last you apparently into your 80s yeah well she was traveling on the cheap yeah exactly and it was you know like i said it was trading like money would be about thirteen thousand a year God, that's crazy to me. Yeah. But yeah, and yeah, she would trade a lot of stuff for food and like she used local guides. So I'm sure it was a lot of bartering Mm -hmm. and, you know, like maybe she was teaching them English. Like you never know. She was clipping coupons. Right, exactly. (laughs) She was a thrifty bitch. So that was uh, Truda. Damn, Truda. Right. I know. It makes me want to go climb a mountain, but like not really at the same time. I would be terrified to climb a mountain because there's so much shit that can well, go see, wrong. To, like, I would be fine until the point where suddenly, like, because the higher elevation you get, the harder it is to breathe. Yeah. That's what would start freaking me out. You know what blows my mind? So I was reading some stuff about Mount Everest one time because I had heard that My Favorite Murder podcast about the bodies on Everest. So I was like, I need to know more. I mean, every Most of the major, like, major mountains like Kilimanjaro, Everest, um... Mount Rainier even I think any of like those higher altitude mountains yeah tend to have some bodies on them yeah that haven't been able to be be recovered but one thing I found was that actually Everest you know we imagine it as this desolate peak and you and your team are getting up there and it's this really triumphant moment there's a fucking line a shit ton of people there's a queue you have to wait to summit the farther you get up Everest the less people there are. Right. But there there was actually um, a, a tragedy. Oh, shit. I want to say it was maybe in the 90s or maybe it was 2019. Probably. Anyway, basically, there is a huge line of people to to summit was Mount it, Everest. Was it so like the summit? true, true summit? Yes. Or was it like one of the ba- the summit base camps? No, no. Okay. It was it was to summit because basically everyone just wants to get up there and then you get down. Yep. Like there's not a lot of time to enjoy it. And a storm hit and a bunch of people died yeah, because they're they all waiting in line at the on the well, top of the I, world. What I'm it like, is what? is like, I mean, it's steep. So I'm pretty sure you're like clipped on. I think I've seen pictures of it. You're like clipped onto a line so you don't, you know, fall off the fucking side of the mountain. So I'm sure, like, yeah, if you get hit by a storm, you're yeah. screwed. Well, and it's just there, there's nowhere to go. Exactly. Like, you can't go you're back right. because there's people in front of you. And you can't okay. go forward because there's people in front of you. Here, Here's a picture. I'm sorry if the sound quality suddenly gets shitty because I'm moving my computer around. Here's a picture of people waiting to summit Mount Everest. Jesus. It is just that's a insane. It's solid line of people all like, in colorful thing, coats like, waiting to It makes to me not want to the do top. it. Not because like, I mean, it would be impressive. It is a huge accomplishment to summit effort. These people usually train oh, years yeah. to not, do it. Not to but take at the it same away. time, I'm like, that makes me not want to do it. That's too many people. 
oh, there's a quote in here where it says conga line of climbers ascending. <laughs> That's literally what it looks like. That's, it does. It looks, yeah. But there's also like a big tr- like trash problem on Everest because people do not pick up after no. themselves. And like, like and not trash to- and skeletons, it's honestly yeah. probably not that nice up there. Well, and, you know, not to take away from this accomplishment, but I'm like, God damn, if there's that, like, it, it's a huge tourist spot. But there's also a lot of efforts to try to keep it, I don't know, a decent place to be. Well, because like, there's still people, like native and... people that live around or on the mountain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they have to deal with everyone's fucking garbage. Right. And it, it's it's I a mean, very short climbing it, it, season. So everyone congregates at once. It is a good way for them to make money. Like you have the Sherpas and stuff that mm-hmm. like take people up the mountain. I'm sure they make Dude, it. Dude, they're the real heroes. They have, exactly. they have climbed to the top of Mount Everest 80 billion times. Exactly. They're like, like guys, <laughs> this is fucking nothing. There's some rich climber businessman from Britain who's like trained his whole life for this. And this guy's like... Average Tuesday. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> Sherpas are just like, okay, come on. Why are you so slow? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that. But especially at this time, she's doing that. That is crazy. Oh, yeah. And like, like, she's the, the first that woman to do that a lot of these she, things. And... Like, went to Everest with porters who are probably semi accustomed to climbing mountains, and they were just like, nah. Yeah. We're good. And she was like, fine, fuck you. I'm going to keep going. Here, Here's the funny thing. Like, that's right, amazing. Did I say Everest? I meant Kilimanjaro. Yeah. But that's amazing and good for her for just being like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. But she is the woman in every, like, horror movie where, like, everyone else is like, pile of skeletons, maybe not. And she's like, maybe do. And then mm. we're all like, oh, she's going to die. And she didn't. <laughs> yeah. She's the one that pops up at the end of the movie and you're like, I thought you died. <laughs> I, You thought what I wanted you to think, bitch. <laughs> yeah, right. I am the, I am the serial killer. I am the knife. <laughs> God damn it. Oh. All we right. ended on a high note. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. My I feel like mine wasn't too much of a bummer, but no, there's a I lot of uh, talk week. of rapists, but at least they're getting their asses we did, beat. We did good this week. Yeah. I didn't talk about it. anyone getting murdered by Nazis. Thank God. I, I feel like I need, and not to say that we shouldn't be telling those stories or not talking just, about you know, them, but there are a lot of two, stories and maybe two, we need one some palate week cleanser. Apart, maybe we just need a little break. <laughs> yeah. So, Kelly. What am I thankful for? Yes. What are you thankful for? See, I need to write, th- like my my da- my planner has like a little section for gratitude and I never fill it in and I should start <laughs> and then I should just bring my planner with me and be like, this is what I'm, <laughs> I don't know, like I, I didn't do a lot this week. I'm thankful for the nice weather. Like today and this weekend, it's supposed to be really humid and shitty out. But like yesterday was super nice. And Mm -hmm. I'm just I've been really enjoying being able to like have my windows open and sit outside and take walks. And I think it's one of those things like I guess I'm thankful for being able to do that and like cleanse my mental health almost because, you know, like when it gets Minnesota has two seasons where we end up cooped inside for months at a time. And it gets stressful. Yeah. Like, it takes its toll on your body. So being able to, like, just even sit outside on my deck while my dogs are fucking around in the yard has been really nice. So that's I agree. what I'm thankful for. I've been doing that more, too. I, I took a magic eraser to my uh, patio chair so that they're nice. not fucking disgusting. Yeah, and I've actually of those if you need more. <laughs> but when I take the dogs, I've actually been, like, sitting in the chair and just, right? like... It, it, it's weird because you kind of don't realize how overwhelmed and stressed and just overstimulated you are until you just let it go and you're like, right. oh my and God. And usually like I've noticed when I'm out there, like I don't take out my phone. I don't like if I'm out there for like an extended period of time, I will. But like mm-hmm. if I just go out there to like 
yeah, sit down while the dogs are fucking around, which maybe takes 10, 15 minutes if they're like really like if it's super nice out because, yeah. you know, if it's too hot, they don't want to be outside. But like, yeah, I usually don't take my phone out. I just kind of like I notice that I just I sit there and I know I relax and, you know, it's one of those like fresh air, sunny, yeah. except not too much sun because then I would be a tomato. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that. How about you? Um... I am thankful that uh, I've gotten to go on several walks this week. I went on a walk on Monday with a friend. It was uh, her birthday, and so she took the day off, and we got to go hike around somewhere where neither of us had ever been, and there were actually some really lovely views, and then we we went swimming after, and that was really nice. And then you and I went on a walk downtown yesterday, and it was gorgeous yesterday. It was The weather was great, and it was nice to do something outside of the podcast, and I know we had talked about it, but one of the reasons we did this podcast was because we wanted to spend more time together, and now we're realizing more. We're spending this time together, but we're so focused on the task we're doing. Not that we don't love it. We we love it. And we're really enjoying each other's company, but it's nice to have that time outside of the podcast to also enjoy each other's company and Agreed. talk about things that we're not going to get to on the podcast because listeners, you guys don't give a shit. And I that's totally fine. I 100% right. get that. And, and sometimes it's like Emily comes over. We do the podcast. She goes home. So like we might have a little bit of time to like talk about what's going on in our lives. But, you know, it's nice to have that extended time to be like, this isn't at the this (laughs) whatever this issue is or whatever this thing I want. I've wanted to talk to you about wasn't at the forefront of my mind. But now that we're spending more time together, like, hey, I can tell you all this like little random shit that I want to share with you as my best friend. But, you know, like. When we're like, okay, you know, we talk for 15 minutes to a half an hour and then we have to podcast and then usually you go home. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have that time to get into, like, the little piddly shit that, you know, is nice sometimes just to share even though or, it doesn't really matter. Or even even the things where it's like, I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast. That's too personal or exactly. something like that. And so that, that, that was really nice that we got to have that time and we're going to have that time tomorrow. We're going to be doing something outside. I don't really know what we're going what we're doing anymore. Some plans kind of shifted. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to like after this, since you're staying a little longer, we'll yeah, have we to like chat. Google it. We'll figure it out. It's fine. Exactly. We always do. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and we have an email address that's whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you, whether it's say their names or people we should cover or just like a hi, hey, I listened to your podcast. It's great. We would also love if you would go on and rate us five stars wherever you listen. Please. Please. It helps other people find us. It helps, you know, it helps like the statistics, obviously. And, you know, we love seeing that. And if you have a few seconds to write a comment about what you like, you know, that really just makes our day. And also, if this is not the uh, academic discussion that you are hoping for, we hope you understand what we are and will not hold that against us. um we also have a patreon uh patreon.com forward slash whining about herstory uh you can get one of our whining about herstory glasses which we prominently feature on our instagram and that are handmade by Mm -hmm. kelly uh if you donate at our ten dollar a month level for two months is it yes yes and then we also have some new merch coming in that i just got done today and should be coming 
like the day this episode releases. It's magnets. It was going to be a surprise. You can just cut that out. It's very, it's a very attractive merch. You'll just be drawn to it. It's a very positive thing. Hopefully not negative. <laughs> Maybe it's both. But you can you can uh, support us for as little as $1 a month. All the money does go directly into the podcast and keeps the wine flowing. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.